Podcast Revolution Network presents The Way with Noah. The Way with the Noah. I'm your host, Noah Changa. It's Sunday, July 31st, 2016. And I am talking um, this evening with Dr. Trisha Callender. Um, Dr. Callender had the, uh, I don't know if I should say pleasure, but the opportunity to uh, travel and participate in the Democratic National Convention this week. Um, and uh, we were just talking this evening to kind of kind of get some more insight into, you know, just the week as a whole. And as we we just think about, you know, we, we've heard so much about this unity, right? You know, Hillary Clinton has quelled the insurgency and there's this unity that now exists. But but I've been talking to different people who actually were on the ground, who actually did have an opportunity to participate in the week to see what their sense is. And, and, and Dr. Counter has a great background and, and, and viewpoint. And I'll let her tell a little bit about herself um, before we get into the conversation. How are you this evening? I'm good. Thank you so much for having me, Anoa. Thank you so much for joining me. I mean, I know we've talked on Facebook. We've we met through another another mutual Bernie supporter friend. Um, they they act as if we don't exist, but Bernie has many women of color, <laughs> many blacks. There's, there's like sisters. There's a bunch of us who who are avid Bernie supporters out here in the world, and we all came together. So, I mean, it's it's definitely great to have you and your perspective on this evening. Um, so just, I mean, if you just want to give a little bit about your, about, about your, your background and your interests and, and we can, um, move along. Okay. Um, I went to the DNC, I missed the first day, but I was there for the Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday. And I went in my capacity, I, I'm actually the president and CEO of Banner Strategies, which is a political and public affairs campaign and strategy firm. And we work in, uh, the United States and South Africa. Our offices okay. are in New York and Johannesburg. So I had had a lot of experience with large-scale public campaigns. I worked on campaigns at the UN, at the Ford Foundation for various NGOs in Africa, working with 193 different countries. So I was used to very large-scale campaigns. So I didn't think that anything would phase me. But I will say that the production that I saw uh, for the DNC was extremely impressive and extremely mm-hmm. slick. And given the uh, the way that the convention started with the uh, discovery of the WikiLeaks DNC uh, emails that showed not only that there um, might have or was bias towards Bernie Sanders and an attempt to derail his candidacy, I was not sure what I would find when I got there. Mm-hmm. But I will say in terms of production value, I don't think I've seen anything, at least not up close, that would rival how professional that was. It really was very well done. And in person, it was extremely impressive. Okay. That being said, um, obviously there had been some acrimony even prior to the release of the WikiLeaks files between Bernie supporters and Hillary supporters, which is a proxy uh, debate really between the establishment and uh, people who have decided that this is not working for them and have decided to take a progressive tack. So 
as you know, I mean, you're politically aware and politically right. active that this acrimony had been going on for a while. So this was really the culmination and, and crash of a lot of different um a, a lot of different things happening where I was not sure what I would find. Right. And so that's why I think this conversation will be quite interesting because I've had some time now um, to unpack it. I got back uh, to New York on Friday morning and I've had some time to unpack it and had some time to think through it. And ultimately, my larger point is if we don't do a better job, just as the left generally, this includes establishment left, then we're in real trouble. Um, I, I think it's fair to say that although the production value is very slick, if you take the layers off, Democrats generally have had some problems nationally. I mean, the 70% of state legislatures and mm-hmm. I think even exceeding 60% of governors and the 55% of attorney general, secretary of state, commissioners, um, state level and local positions like that are held by Republicans. Yes. So mm-hmm. for all of the beauty of the of the production, uh, there is a lot of work to be done to gain local trust. And I, Democrats, despite um, how exciting this was and and how beautiful it was and and how flawed and quite frankly um, comical a candidate to some degree that Donald Trump is, all of these. Positions of power at the local level are, and local and state level are in Republican hands. Mm-hmm. And that has to change. And so for me to see the bifurcation between the Sanders supporters and the establishment Democrats doesn't bode well for that changing anytime soon. In fact, if trends continue, it's most likely that we will see this even more exacerbated, which has implications for lots of things Obamacare reproductive reproductive rights etc right right agreed so um so when you were there did you did you have any opportunity to participate in any or 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 view any of the different i know they had like you know we had we saw the big speeches and stuff at night but i know there were several different like panels and workshops and stuff throughout the day were you able to um get a chance to, to attend any of those and 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 how was that in terms of um, if you did, how was that in terms of just going, you talk about the production value. Um, how were they in, in, in any type of, was there any opportunity to maybe see, like we, we've, we've heard about this unity, right? There's supposedly the Democratic Party has been united. Hillary Clinton has quelled the insurgency. Everything is great. And now we're all just moving forward. But, you know, from talking to different people, obviously that's not necessarily the entire case, but like, you know, I, I, I did see that there were, you know, I know that I, that I know that there was like a women of color. That might have been the first day. So that might have been the day you weren't there. But I know there were different luncheons and, and, and uh, mm-hmm. you know, um, oh, lost my train of thought. Oh, yeah, there were different there were different uh, panels, et cetera, that occurred during the day. Were you able to attend any of those? And and what was your take on maybe some of the messaging? That's a very good question. I was, in fact, able to attend several of them. There were a lot of um, different caucuses that were meeting, LGBT mm-hmm. caucus, Black caucus, Women's caucus, Rural caucus, etc. So there were lots of different choices. And um, I found myself in some of the meetings. I was very deliberate about which ones that I went to. And most of the ones that I went to had to do with uh, preparing women to run for office or uh, specific to women's needs. I... 
I did not find in these meetings that there was a lot of talk about how to how to unify, and perhaps that was in large part because that was not the objective of the right. meetings that I was in. It was to okay. deal with women's issues. But what I did also notice is that the majority of the people in these meetings were establishment um, Democrats. And I'm not using that term negatively. I'm just using right. it to differentiate it from Bernie supporters. Uh, were establishment Democrats. So they were speaking to that crowd. They were speaking to each other. I did not see a lot of Bernie supporters, or at least admitted Bernie supporters, in these meetings at all. And um, the Bernie supporters that I did see were very visible, um, and they were outside of the meetings. They had Bernie T-shirts or Bernie pins, or they looked decidedly different. I mean, just from an aesthetic standpoint, they looked right. decidedly different than the, I guess, you know, garden variety rank and file uh, Democrat attendee. So there, I did not hear a lot of talk uh, about unity um, at all. I didn't hear any um, specific acrimony, but there was definitely it was not on the agenda for the meetings that I attended. Right. And I think to some degree you also have. Um, I mean, this is a proxy argument for a lot of things, or a proxy debate for a lot of things. There's also a generational gap. And so the people that are running these caucuses, they're longtime Democrats. They've been at it for a long time, and they understand the Democrat machine. And that's not the average Bernie supporter. He got a lot of people that were not necessarily engaged or excited about politics to become involved in the political process. So it would make sense that they wouldn't necessarily feel at home. Um, in these in these meetings, I believe they had their own meetings, and a lot of them were outside of the purview of the the main uh, hall and the, mm. and the main convention center. So I was a bit unusual in that I had voted for Bernie. I, I'm going to be very clear about that. I, I voted for Bernie, but I was still somewhat um, involved in the traditional Democrat machine, or at least okay. had a chance to view parts of it. And unity did not come up at all. I'll be clear. <laughs> So in, 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 in thinking about that experience, right, having still had like, you know, that experience and that foot in maybe more traditional establishment political arenas, but having been, you know, also to, to an extent involved in a supporter of Senator Sanders, you know, that juxtaposition of those is almost like two different worlds, it sounds like to some extent. Um, or at least two different view viewpoints of the same process. You know, how has that been? Just just to kind of step outside this as the DNC a little bit, just thinking about just over the last however many months, just just still, you know, with, through your work and through maybe the conversations that you may have had versus, um, you know, have you been met with resistance with, from other people or, or, you know, I mean, it just seems like it's just, you know, you've been at a very, like I said, you have a very interesting vantage point because you have been involved in, in some ways that are different than the average supporter who's maybe just Mm -hmm. new to politics or, or like you said, the people who previously were never really involved before who were just coming to it. So there's a very, you know, different, I guess, understanding of the way process works for some people. Whereas if you have been involved in larger scale campaigns and things like that, you get a sense of how things work. So, so when you're looking at, you know, where we stand right now, where do you come out almost with all of this? Do you mean politically or professionally? Um, well, is that, a diff- <laughs> is, it, is it different? Is it, well, that's a good, that's actually a good distinction. And so is it different for you politically versus professionally or do they intertwine in some ways? 
Um, they intertwine in some way. I I think for me, um, I went in my capacity, and I was very deliberate okay. um, as president and CEO of Spanner Strategies. Right. I mean, there are campaigns going on at the state right. and local level. I specialize um, specifically in digital strategy, digital campaign strategy. Oh, wonderful. And yeah, yeah, that's mm-hmm. that. It's not just garden variety political strategists because there's tons of those. But one one thing, and I think this was something that could have been that was learned by the Bernie campaign a little bit too late, is that having a targeted digital strategy is really important. It's what you would target to a 25 year old white male in Vermont on Twitter is very different linguistically and and content-wise that you would to a 25-year-old black woman living in the Bronx, New York. And I think that was some, they they did not master that. And it was important to master that more so for them, because I'm not saying that the Clinton campaign did an outstanding job of that either, but Mm -hmm. they had a really, they had great name recognition. Everybody knows who Hillary Clinton is. So you don't, you, you don't have to do that. And I think Robbie Mook made a great calculation in terms of how they targeted black voters. And and I think for the Sanders team, and there's now lots of postmortems written about it, they just did not think that they could get this population of people mm-hmm. and, and ignored it completely. And it was ultimately their death now. Right. And so for me, um, as a digital strategist, I am keenly aware of how important that is. I mean, there's a, it's, it's almost like you're a social media linguist to some degree right. where you, you find the language and the slang and what's resonating with people and speak in that way. And so that was what I was going to do is see where the Democrat party is with that and, um, and, and make connections and help people with their campaigns, which I was very successful at doing. Um, however, I think ultimately for me, I'm, I'm a Bernie supporter, but I wouldn't necessarily call myself an activist. Okay. So I I came to it with a very different. I voted for him, you know. Right. I mean that's the, you know, but I was not, you know, deeply deeply involved in the campaign um, to the degree that some of the people that were there, um, and they were um, very very ticked off about how things had gone. I was not. Um, my perspective was a little bit different. Mm-hmm. I understood where they were coming from, and I I did feel like. This rift could have been handled a lot more smoothly, and I fear that if they do not make quick and serious moves to reach out to Sanders supporters, and I'm not talking about Robbie Moves sneaking out in the middle of the night and speaking with a couple of guys from Vermont and talking about a large-scale, very public, not just Mia Culpa, but a real, not an olive branch extension, but points of access open for these people to actually participate in Clinton's campaign, then I am I am very concerned about what will happen moving forward. I, I do not see where that's happened. Um, and I've, a lot of people, I've seen a lot of articles saying that most Sanders supporters will support Clinton, but if this was any indication the people that I met in Philly this last few days, that is certainly not the case. Now, I am a person, I, at the end of the day, I'm a sociologist, and I'm aware right. that my anecdotes are not data. Um, so <laughs> maybe the people that I saw, well, people tend to get confused with that. I know so-and-so, and this that doesn't mean that it's true. It means it's just true for that person. It doesn't mean it's generalizable. But um, it doesn't seem to me, for some of the more committed Bernie supporters, 
And one thing that Bernie supporters have in common is that they really did believe in his message. Right. Nobody thinks his message was fake. Nobody held their nose and voted. Um, most people voted for Bernie Sanders because they really wanted to. If there is not a reach out, and I fear that the time for that, um, the window of time for that is closing, then we're in real trouble as just left-wing people generally um, in uh, in in November. I, I just don't see how you can treat a swath of people like that and, and get away with it. Now, this may not be Clinton's campaign. It may just be Democrats generally, but mm-hmm. I did see a lot of, of acrimony and um, negative comments and things like that. And I, you know, a couple of times, I mean, even towards me, you know, somebody said, oh, I, I know that you're, a, you voted for Sanders. What are you doing here? You know, it's like, I'm a registered Democrat, of course. I mean, and I'm a political strategist. Are you kidding? Those right. kinds of comments. Yeah. Those kinds of comments. And those happened, and it happened quite a bit. Those kinds of things. I'm urging Clinton supporters that are listening to this to stop that. Otherwise, you're going to be left holding your head in your hands in November wondering what went wrong. Exactly. I mean, we, we have, we have, and I was just talking with, um, I talked earlier this evening with Portia Bolger. She's a, a Democrat from Ohio. Um, she was an Ohio delegate and she, she, she iterated something similar to what you were saying about how there needs to be something to kind of acknowledge the rift because people are not just going to come inside. You know, you're talking about a group of people who, who, who the messaging and for a candidate has been very atypical for, you know, the democratic field you're not going to just bring people in by saying, okay, you have to do this because Trump is bad. Like that's not particularly with that's all That's not a things, compelling enough argument it's, it's for, in, for these people who are ideologues. I mean, at the end of the day, Bernie Sanders supporters are ideologues. I have a nonpartisan firm. If okay. there was a candidate that was speaking on issues that I cared about, that was a Republican, I would have voted for them too. I'm not, mm-hmm. I'm not wedded to party loyalty. And I think right. this election is very unique in that, we can look at this maybe 20, 30 years from now and say, this is when the, the pendulum swung. This is when people said, too bad for the party. This idea of I'm a Democrat or I'm a Republican means a lot to people that are over 45. It doesn't, and that's not the majority of the people that are voting in, the, in, um, in 2020 and 2024 and, right, and moving forward. forward. Right. You have to come up with a compelling argument so it builds on exactly what you just said, Anoa. It it basically says you can't say this other guy is worse. Vote for us. You yourself have to have a compelling argument. And I think a few things the Democrats could have done differently is one, rather than having a coronation, they could have had a real convention. Mm-hmm. The vibe was more of a coronation. And I understand that it was a historic moment. And, you know, there had never been a woman that was the major party candidate for president in the history of this country. That is notable and that is admirable, but there still needs to be points of entry for people who did not vote for the person to become involved. Right. That is, is number one. And that's where the messaging is, is so key. That's where people like, I mean, not necessarily me, but people who do my kind of work, that's where it's so key that you find a message that says, this is why you should join me as opposed to this is why you should vote for me. People want to belong to something that they believe in, as opposed to voting against someone else. When you vote against someone else, what happens is you don't get 
people that are compelled to give you money or time because what they're doing is just holding their nose and voting. That does not translate then to state and local elections because there's no excitement, there's no right. momentum. Right. And that's exactly. why we keep losing. That's why we keep losing. So I would change the messaging. And I think for me, that was one of the things that really stood out, even though it was well-meaning. I think there was a way to balance the coronation with the convention. And I'm not entirely sure. And of course, you know, it's easy to be an armchair quarterback, but um, I'm not entirely sure that that was done effectively. And uh, people that I know uh, felt that it was alienating. Mm-hmm. On the other hand, you had people who were really, really excited about a female candidate and were very invested. But these are not your average Democrat. These are people who are deeply involved in delegates and fundraisers for the Democrat Party. The majority of the country is not even registered with either party. Right. And so what do you have to bring them not only to the polls, but your side generally so they vote for the entire ticket? And I think that was something that could have been done better. Right, right, right. There was something that you just said. I thought that was very... Well, everything you just said, <laughs> but, but just, just backing up to when you said that, you know, you're about, you know, you look at issues and the people who are addressing the issues and that's where you're not, not so much the party loyalty. I really do think that if we, if we, the party has become so focused about the party and party loyalty and maintaining certain um, systems or processes that they have put in place to keep certain people in positions and not so much the, 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 the supposed spirit and, 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 and issues and, and, and platforms that are like, like we've made a lot, a big deal about the platform, right? This is the most progressive platform the democratic party has ever had, you know, or at least in the modern era. And, and, but the platform, you know, as many people know, it's non-binding and it requires people to be active, engaged and involved in the process for it actually to mean something more than just this symbolic document that was drafted through, you know, a labor of of love to some extent, but definitely mm-hmm. it's definitely a labor to get the document that was finally created, created, but, but to actually have it mean something more than just this symbolic document, it takes people to be involved in the process and to have people involved in the process, but have people who are active and engaged, making conscious decisions, informed decisions, people do need to be invited into the process. People do need to understand that there are pathways for participation that are meaningful and not just, you know, come, like you said, come get with me because I want to win. How about you come get with me so we can build something. And I think when you, when, when you look at Bernie Sanders supporters, people felt like they were building something. They were part of something. People felt like they belong, like their mm-hmm. voice mattered for the first time, probably, you know, in, in their entire exposure to politics. And, and, and that does seem to be lacking. If you weren't a part of the kind of, if you weren't a part of the initial grouping around, you know, Secretary Clinton, if you're coming to the party later on and you were a Sanders supporter, in some ways, it does seem like from the outside looking in to, to an extent that you're not really going to be welcomed in. OK, yes, we want you to come vote, but it's almost like we don't necessarily need you because because we have all these Republicans coming in now who don't want to support the idiot, you know, on the other side. So we don't mm-hmm. necessarily even need to work with you. So it just, I just, I just encourage, I just encourage every time I talk to people, you know, I encourage folks that we really need to stay, we need, need to continue to be engaged and to continue to drive issues and conversations forward, regardless of whether we're, we're openly welcome. But I think when we talk about, you know, this election and how important everyone makes up this election to be, if we're going to win and we're going to win and, and actually continue to move the needle, not this incremental, maybe we'll get change in another 15 years nonsense, but really actually moving the needle, it's going to take people inside and outside to continue, you know, demanding 
the process move along and not just, you know, well, you know, this is the best we can do for now and we'll just hang in there. Right. And it just right. seems there's so again, many people who are just so resolved to that position and it's, it's, it's kind of disconcerting. See, for me, this is where it gets interesting as a mm-hmm. digital campaign strategist. Okay. I think this campaign, to a large degree, features a lot of people that were Clinton loyalists from way back. And when they were running campaigns during the time of Bill Clinton, the media was quite different. Right. People couldn't participate in information sharing. So their participation was limited to face-to-face information sharing, attending caucus meetings, attending local meetings, fundraising, things, fundraisers, things of that nature. Now we have a way more egalitarian information sharing economy mm-hmm. that has its good points and it has its bad points. But what it does, it is allows people to organize around political issues outside of the party. You've got Twitter, you've got Facebook, You've got even Snapchat for people who are like, okay, take a look at what's going on here. A real live on the scene reporter that's just a regular citizen. And that cannot be controlled by the campaign. I don't care if your campaign is awesome, it's terrible, your candidate is awesome or terrible. That can't be controlled by the campaign because Facebook and all of those things are outside of the purview of the campaign. So there's a whole different information economy happening. And if you don't get your hands around it or or build bridges between one or the other, not with you just sending out messages, but a way to have an online exchange, not necessarily a conversation, but an exchange where you draw data from those conversations and say, okay, we need to do this, not just for messaging purposes, but to get people involved. Mm -hmm. Then I really think if they've done this effectively or more effectively, we will have what we need moving forward. What I am seeing now is they've exactly what you've said is they've made the calculation that they've got the mainstream Republicans like the George Wills of the world to say, I'm going to vote for Hillary Clinton instead and have made the and, and their calculus shows they've made the calculation that it's really not necessary to reach out to the far left. The far left is smart enough to also realize, because, like I said, they organize on their own and they don't need the party apparatus to do so, that the platform is just that. It's actually a titular platform that's non-binding. And so they're not moved by this. And they also notice things like Cornell West, for example, whatever you think about him, he worked on the party platform and now he said he will not vote for that party candidate. All of this information is flying around on platforms that, the DNC cannot control. Right. This has to be reined in or they're in real trouble. I don't think they realize what kind of trouble that they could be in because the candidate on the right is so flawed. Perhaps this, they may be able to win this way, but moving forward, I'm talking about for the party writ large, this doesn't bode well for state. This doesn't bode well for local. It doesn't bode well for dog catcher. And at the end of the day, the governorships, the state attorney general, these are where things are happening. The state attorney general basically decides that they're the the holders of all of the da- the voter data information in the state. That's very powerful. They, you know, if there's a problem with ballots or a problem with election results, they are the judge, jury, and executioner. That's very powerful. That kind of person is not going to win with what we just described. We've got to really mm-hmm. bring in Sanders supporters, and some of them will never get on board. But the mainstream Sanders supporter, identify who that person is and go after them. They have to do that. And they have not done that. They've painted Sanders with a broad brush. 
Jackson had a coronation. What happened with Nina Turner, nobody really knows. But because there's a history of distrust there, it doesn't really look good. Right. There needs to be actual reach out, not titular and just discursive, discursive reach out, but a real reach out. And if not, this is a lost opportunity that will not only hurt them in the general, but hurt them um, on local, uh, on the down ballot, and hurt them moving forward. The best bet is to draw out the middle and the most right of Sanders supporters and go after them. And that is best done on social media. Wow. <laughs> you rock. I mean, that's my opinion. No, you rock. <laughs> No, but seriously, I think that's an excellent point. Like, if we're talking about, like, you know, as if you're thinking about, okay, we need to win, what do we need to do? Because it just, like you said, it just, it this whole election cycle, it just seemed like, particularly when you talked about, like, not just the media, but the Clinton campaign as a whole, it just seemed like people were stuck in another era to some extent. Or even when you think about the last time they ran, right? In 2008, social media was still social media existed but we weren't all so plugged in the way we are now in 2016 and you know people did have podcasts i mean things did exist but it just it just the way it is now it's even more accessible than it was before and so thinking about how to engage people how to really bring people into the process because you know what's it's kind of wild because i see this also through the eyes of my of my my kids too and my younger sister who just voted for the first time so everybody's like okay now what and, and, and I'm, I'm, it's great to hear some of the people who are focusing, starting trying to look at what, what's going on state and local. That's something that I'm interested in doing myself. But we still have some people who just don't get it that state and local really matter. Not that the presidency is not important, but like you said, the governorship ships, the different congressional positions, you know, our state. I mean, our houses, when you look at the maps, when they transition, you show the maps over the last several decades of how, well, not several, several years of how our, our, our state and local you know, our state legislatures, how they have changed and become so red across the country. You know, we've lost governor seats. Um, we have people like um, the, the people in like North Carolina and Florida and Wisconsin in, in, in these positions as governor who are making decisions that are so crucial for people. And people and we can't and de- the Democratic Party will make sure they turn people out for the vote for president. But then we fall short. I mean, we just had saw mm-hmm. that happen in Kentucky with the last election they had in Kentucky. The governor, Tea Party covered governor that came in in Kentucky. I think it was like thirty three or thirty four percent voter turnout. And you know, there were things going to play. They were getting fifteen dollar minimum wage. They were having. Um, I think the outgoing Democratic governor had you know given felons back the right to vote, and then you know low voter turnout and all that stuff was completely rescinded by the person that came in. And so many people. You know, I think I hopefully people are starting to see why it's important to be engaged beyond just, you know, this every four year. OK, we got out the vote. And I and, and I and I, I don't know, like I, I like from a digital media and I think digital media is so important because it does help us able to reach people um, mm-hmm. about these different issues on a level that the mainstream media, the mainstream media is hyper focused on the, the very limited and skewed narratives, you know, that, that they're, they're focused on and there's still all this other information out there where, you know, people like you and I through interacting in social media can definitely help inform and engage, not just a generation, but, but, but a, a huge voter base, you know, instantaneously. Um, but it just seems like they're, they're still, even though there's so much information out there and so much opportunity, it just still seems like there's so much work to be done to help people understand how to use the social media, to use digital organizing as an actual tool 
to accompany, you know, um, outreach and engagement and support going forward. Because like we both have experienced the, the Sanders campaign, they did some things very well. And there were some things they, they really definitely did not put enough. Um, I don't know what the right word would be, but there were some areas where they definitely could have improved. And, and, and it just seems like whether it's intentional and not wanting to reach certain people or, you know, the Clinton campaign, the mainstream Dems are, are insistent on doing things the way they prefer to do them, that there are still these gaps in areas where people are missing opportunities to do this type of engagement. Yeah, I, I fully agree with that. I think if you look back in history, though, whoever has managed the social media platform come out first and come out fast and come out effectively um, has generally left a larger and more profound impression with the American populace. You can go all the way back to FDR, Franklin Delano Roosevelt, with his fireside chats at the time, social media, the equivalent was radio, it was new, and he would come into your living room through his voice and tell you about his vision for America. And if you listen to those fireside chats now, they're very short on policy mm-hmm. specific, but it's a really great branding ad. Right. He, he's this kind of avuncular man who's going to take care of you in the country. Moving forward, JFK. I mean, everybody knows about that um, that debate between he and, and Nixon. And Nixon was a very experienced man who had been a vice president for eight years prior. He knew the system, and, but here was this new medium television. And he looked terrible on it, and JFK looked fabulous, and he mm-hmm. used it to great advantage moving forward. He ended up winning. Fast forward to 2007, 2008, Facebook was, you know, people were sharing pictures and stories, but nobody had taken it seriously as a political tool. And I don't even mean, mean digital organizing. I mean digital campaigns. I right. think organizing is a part of that. And Obama used it to great effect, left the Clinton um, team on their heels, and we all know what happened. And now moving forward, sadly, you look and you see Twitter, and, you know, Donald Trump has mastered that medium. The tweet that everybody remembers that Hillary Clinton um, wrote in reference to Donald Trump was, you know, in again, in reference to Donald Trump. He still wins that. So whoever's winning the platform of the day is getting their message out there most effectively. Whether or not the message is crazy or specific on policy is um, granular details is almost irrelevant. So we've got to harness this really well and really soon. And I think you're absolutely right. One of the things that the Sanders campaign didn't do effectively was they went after, and this could have been a function of of a a resource problem. I don't know the specifics of it. But what they did not do was say, okay, we probably won't win all black voters. We're right. not going – I mean, the Clintons have had a long and storied history courting the black vote and, and, and having problems with it and so on and so forth. I mean, there's, there's a long – there's plenty of tomes of research written about that already. Right. But in order for us not to look like a bunch of white, upper-middle-class tree huggers from Burlington, Vermont – it is important that we go after this demographic so that our message seems more egalitarian. And I don't think Jeff Weaver and those guys really realized because the Democrat brand is one that at least physically um, looks like diversity, how important it was to have a diverse populace. It doesn't matter if you've gotten 53% of the vote if all of them are white males. That's that's anti-brand. It's against brand. It's off message. And you look like a fool or a racist. And that is exactly what happened with those folks there. So 
there's also a lot to be done. I mean, I, I, again, armchair quarterback, um, time side is 2020, but I think if people really understood not just how to use the medium you've sent out a tweet, but social media literacy and what I refer to, we at Spanish Strategies call social media linguistics, Ooh, understanding okay. the understanding the, the the slang and the way that people like if something's funny, a guy in Vermont's going to be like, "Dude, that's hilarious," as opposed to a black woman that says, "Girl, I'm dead." It both means whatever you typed was hilarious to me. But there's a very different colloquialism and a very different language that people use, not just in person with African-Americans. This transfers also to online spaces. And whoever masters that for the next um, general election cycle in 2020 is going to win the race. I'm willing to hang my professional hat on that. Mm -hmm. But in the meantime, the left, who's always out in front in terms of data compared to the Republicans anyway, the left really needs to start doing that now uh, at a macro, uh, at a micro scale, trying to find people who are more moderate or less left Sanders supporters, because not all of them were extremely right wing. Most of them are just people that were really set up with inequality. Right. Find them and speak to them. Cut the, we won, get on board, crapola, cut that out. And promote progressive candidates, not just Democrats, but progressive candidates. If you don't want to take a risk at the national level, do so at the local level and support them. And if you do that, you will then end up with progressive people that will serve as buffers for you against what's going on now. At this point, there's no point of entry for progressive candidates. I really feel with a targeted social media digital campaign strategy and looking to promote progressive candidates to office uh, to hold office positions, not ne just necessarily protesting and organizing, with their, with their blessing, I really think that would go a long way in healing the rift. Right. And it is a rift. If we're not calling it a rift, we are lying to ourselves. It is a rift. It is not as egregious and, and bleeding rift like there is on the right. But it is a rift. It's going to have implications, and particularly for a party that is not doing well outside of national elections, this can't continue. This is not a sustainable strategy. It's a, it's a short-term strategy for one person's candidacy. There are thousands of Democrats all over the country, and millions of Democrats literally all over the country. You have to speak to all of them because that one candidate that you're putting all of your eggs in that basket is not going to be able to get anything done, and we're not going to be able to get our yes. head mm -hmm. issues dealt with if we don't have people on the local level. It's very short-sighted. And the way to move that forward and move it forward cheaply, because social media is relatively cheap as opposed to TV advertising, which, by the way, the average viewer on CNN is something like, 56 or 57 years old, right, right. and they're one of the younger ones. The MSNBC is 60-something. People aren't watching TV. Spend your money on social media. It is a better bang for your buck and provide points of entry for people to participate that normally would be outside of the process. And I guarantee we wouldn't have this anymore. Mm. I think that's an excellent point because especially when we look at, you know, we're talking about it's, it's, it's baby boomers, what is it? I'm trying to think of what, what this, what the, what millennial, no, it was a Gen X and millennials now outnumber baby movers in the, in the voting process. It was some, it was some statistic I remember hearing during um, the later months of the primary season 
But you're right. Like if you're trying to, to reach and influence voters and get people active and engaged, and there seems to be so much focus on, okay, Hillary Clinton, the Democratic nomination, we got to win the presidency. We got to win the presidency. And I just remember when, when during a primary, you know, in response to, you know, as kind of a criticism of Bernie, people would say, well, the president isn't that important anyway, or the president doesn't really do that much or, or the president doesn't really have the, that power. But now it's, it's, and, and I understand Donald Trump is a disaster and this, this is not to take away from any of that stuff. I mean, he is, and you know, he, he, he seems to be, con- I, you know, and, and every, it's also wondering like, does he even, I don't even care whether he really wants to be president or not. Like, I'm not really concerned for all that stuff, but we do have all these other races that are going on. There are still so many places, you know, Washington has a primary coming up. Uh, Missouri, you have, you have, you do have so many viable, wonderful people trying to run for office who we have seen over this period. And not just because they support Senate, they supported Senator Sanders, but for some of these people, it's because they're newcomers to the process and they're challenging, you know, incumbents that they have been, you know, restricted from access to Van, Van, I know like a uh, Tim Canova and Cory Bush and, and several other people had actually been restricted from the ability to have van access um, during the primaries. And, 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 and yes, these are people who support Bernie Sanders, but these are also people who were challenging, you know, establishment Democrats. And we should want to have the best possible person, you know, in office to represent a certain district or, or even like you said earlier, Trisha, you know, a, a, a dog catcher, right? We should want the best person <laughs> in that position, Right. But instead, it seems like so much that we have, even the way people are falling over themselves to support Debbie Washington Schultz right now, um, I was very disappointed in Rachel Maddow, uh, her, her appall over people demanding, you know, Debbie step down. But, but we, we see though, a lot of times that, that, that the establishment is lining up behind candidates when we're talking about these other races that are not good candidates at all. They're just people who've been a part of the team for a long time on the inner circle or, or whatever. They're not people who are necessarily good candidates. They're not necessarily the, the folks who are most representative of, you know, the values the party says it holds. And I just wonder how do we, I mean, I definitely agree about, you know, having well-planned thought out and, and, you know, meaningful, you know, digital campaigns, because how do we, how do we, how do we get the party to actually adhere to the values it says it, it, it believes in to, to get the best people in some of these seats to be able to help, you know, address some of these issues, you know, going forward? I, I think there's a couple of things. We also need to look at what the Sanders campaign did wrong and learn from that as well. They were far from perfect. Mm-hmm. And I think and I don't know for sure, but I've heard from colleagues that, um, Bernie Sanders ran as a protest candidate, and he was as surprised as we are that it went as far as it did. And so I don't think the campaign infrastructure was in place to win. The campaign infrastructure was in place to make a point. And then, by the way, everybody agreed with this. A lot more people agreed with this point, and then here we are. Um, what needs to happen, first of all, I, I come back to my original point, is that progressive candidates, um, rather than... And I understand the the optics of going to Philly and protesting. I think that's very important. But spending that money on primaries that they themselves are participating in, they need to run for office. They do. If Bernie Sanders' message was attractive on a national level, which is the hardest to penetrate, then I'm pretty sure it would work for 
a school board in a largely Democrat district to some degree, not ensuring a win. But I don't think what Bernie has done has laid the groundwork for this discussion to happen. And the discussion, what's happening now is people are trying to get it from the national level and then hoping it distills down. There's no such thing as trickle-down economics that's successful, and there's Mm -hmm. also not trickle-down politics that are successful. It's always the other way around. And this is something that the Republicans do very, very well. They listen to their grassroots organizers, and they listen to their, their base. And as you can see now, they pretty much, with the exception of the presidency, control everything. And so what needs to happen is they need to run for office. But before they do that, the Sanders insurgency, the Sanders movement, the the Sanders thing was a largely white revolution. That cannot be denied. This is against brand and it's against message. If the message is about equality, then you have to physically perform that equality. Mm-hmm. And I don't think that was something that was done particularly well. It's not necessarily the Sanders campaign fault, the fault of the campaign. These were the people that were drawn to them, but there was no real sense of outreach for non-traditional um, or ethnic minorities or, mm-hmm. or non-traditional people to be involved in the Sanders campaign in a very visible way. Somewhere towards the middle to the end, Simone Sanders was put in pl- place as a um, uh, press secretary, but in the in the meantime, that and and by that time, it seemed it it didn't resonate as strongly as it could have. So, the progressive needs to the progressive movement needs to self-examine. Nina Turner, notwithstanding, there needs to be real outreach to um, to blacks and um, Latinos and people who are not traditionally um, at the forefront of movements of this kind. Now, here's the thing. If Sanders had won because of the nations, because of the states that he won, and he generally won the least diverse states in the nation, mm-hmm. which made me very sad, as a, <laughs> but it would have really been a step backward to some degree um, in American race relations because it looks bad. Right. And the message is egalitarian, but your voting patterns aren't. There's a disconnect. And there's an inconsistency there. That inconsistency has to be fixed before they move forward. And there's a reason why the majority of voters that were Bernie Sanders supporters were either young or rich. Okay, neither we don't fit that category. And when I say young, I mean under 25. Mm-hmm. We don't fit that category. But youth and rich people, what do they have in common? They've got time. Mm. For a single mother raising two kids who's concerned with inequality, where's the space for her to enter the Sanders world? Mm-hmm. There's no point of entry for her either. So this comes back to just something both Clinton and Sanders need to work on is points of entry. And so the progressives are already on board. You have to reach out to people who might like your message, but they don't identify as progressives. Right. They're not concerned, per se, with carbon emissions. But they are concerned with inequality. There should be a space for them, too. They've got to diversify the movement to some degree. And this, I think, is a key thing. Bernie, like I said, was was as surprised as we were that the movement took off and gained the momentum that it did. And really, what he did was historic. But now it needs to move from the grassroots model, which is very romantic, and everybody's on board with that because it, it sounds sexy, but... There needs to be more professionalism to it. Time to use real strategies. Time to use real strategists. Mm-hmm. A slicker model 
to attract a wider swath of voters. Um, targeted messaging. So it's not that you're just, I mean, sitting in some group of people who are, you know, they, the carbon emissions group or the climate change group, as much as climate change is a major issue, it right. is not an issue for this hypothetical single mother with two kids. Right. She doesn't know exactly. how she's going to feed her kids in two weeks. So that is not her issue. There still needs to be there needs to be a way to strategize to reach her as well. It's time to move this Sanders movement from grassroots to professional grassroots, mm -hmm. professional organizing, and something more slick and something more professional so that attracted to more people. There's a reason that slickness works. is because it gets people on board. And so unless that happens, this is going to be relegated to the ash heap of political history, and you don't want that. So right. to that end, Sanders crew as well. And I don't necessarily need him. I don't know how much of a role he'll have in it because at this point now the movement's bigger than he is. Right. There has to be, as the same advice that I would give the Clinton team, there has to be a, a very concerted effort to penetrate groups that you would not normally think would be on your side and provide them with points of entry and cut that Bernie bro narrative all the way out. And until that happens, the Democrats will stay losing either in the court of public opinion or on the local level. Given that Trump is at the top of the ticket, this presents a very good opportunity for Democrats, should they choose to accept it, to really make some sea changes at the local level because he's going to drag down the entire ticket. People are turned off of the Republican brand because he's sitting at the top of it. Now is the time to make those changes. I think that's great. I mean, like, they just... Wow. <laughs> like you just, I mean, this is I just mean, my professional opinion. I mean, other people might have a different opinion, but based on the research that I've done, this, this seems to be the most viable option forward. This is what I would advise. That just, I, I think what you're saying is, and I'm not a professional. I'm just someone, you know, uh, th this is as a hobby. I like to pay attention to, you know, political processes and engaging in outreach. Um, I shouldn't say it's a hobby anymore, but, but, but I, I think what you're saying sounds, sounds right, though, from just thinking about the way, just, just from meeting and talking with people. I remember here ahead of our, our primary um, in Georgia, you know, people got excited. There are people who didn't even understand, really. There are people, there are people I don't think people understand. There are people out there who don't even understand how the primary process even works, right? Because, well, I mean, the clearest example is that is Samuel Jackson. Samuel Jackson, you know, early on, ahead of his primary, the primaries, made a comment about Hillary Clinton. He was like, well, you know, we'll see what Bernie has, and, you know, maybe I'll consider him in November. And everybody jumped on him because it's like, you don't understand. You can't vote for him in November. You have to vote for him now. <laughs> if he doesn't win now, My you're not going to vote. And I, and I think that I think that what you're saying is right. And I've also talked to other people who've talked about, you know, doing some type of, you know, um, voter outreach type stuff too. And not just, you know, we have all these get out the vote and be tell people they need to vote or voter die or your ancestors died for the right to vote. You know, we tell people things to scare them, but we don't really give people the tools and resources to understand the importance and the value of voting as well as, you know, like going back to our state and local conversation, how it actually relates to our, our individual lives. You know, we talk about, you know, Trump is so bad or we must have this person as president, but we don't, 
And especially after we've had eight years, you know, I voted for President Obama twice. You know, I, I'm not someone who's upset or regrets the vote or whatever. I mean, I do take issues with some of the policies and stuff that, that have come out of the Obama administration. But there are a lot of people who look and it's like, well, I did vote and it didn't change anything for me. So why should I vote? And I feel like when, 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 when outreach and engagement or when it's time to get out the vote when we're talking about these elections, that why should I vote or what does it matter to me? I feel like that connection is not necessarily made properly, but I think the way you're framing it um, makes sense and, and provides a model for people if they're really trying to have successful campaigns to put in place, you know, um, solid progressive candidates who are moving forward. You know, there, there's the initiative right now, the brand new Congress, you know, initiative is, is developing and, 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 and they're starting to vet candidates and stuff. And I think when we look at to building processes, to building these new programs and opportunities, we really do need to get to where you're talking about of how to engage people, how to reach them. And then also you do absolutely have to be able to take stock and in, in, in what has happened. And I do find that although I do support many of my, my fellow Bernie, Bernie supporters at the same time, I do think there's a reluctance to acknowledge that there was anything that, that the campaign um, either, you know, missteps or just did wrong or whatever. I mean, it's always about everything else external. And there are, are certainly plenty of external issues, particularly when we're talking about elections, particularly when we're talking about heated elections, right? But there's a lot of, we, we do have to look at what happened internally and how do we improve so that we can move forward. And um, so, so yeah, I um, definitely... Well yeah. We'll see how it goes. We'll see how it goes. But there's a lot of work to be done. But I look forward to the day when instead of saying vote or die, we say get involved or die. It's beyond voting yes, at this point. Yes, it is beyond voting at this point. And I, think, and, and I think that some people are starting to get that and starting to understand. And I, I, I feel like with my own family, I just look at my own family. Like my brothers have never voted before. My, my, young, my two younger sisters, one is in college. This is their first time voting. The other one has been voting age and she's just now voting. But but people are saying, okay, so now what do we do? Because everyone voted and it was like, okay, this is important. So now what? So I I, I like that there are so many people who are saying the now what and who are moving forward um, and willing to to still continue to be engaged. And then we have people like you (laughs) who have, you know, a lot of wisdom and and, and institutional knowledge um, that we definitely need to be relying on. Um, we, We were talking about that, I think. Trying to think of what group I was talking with, but we were talking about how there are these certain traditional groups of strategists and other people that that the different campaigns and stuff will pull from, but there are people like you who have great information and insight that maybe your voice needs to be amplified um, more as well as we're looking at making decisions and how to um, construct messaging even for for reaching people. I think what was, and I I appreciate that. I think what's going to happen is also. You know, people were very involved in this for the better part of a year. It's going to take some time mm-hmm. um, to for hurt feelings and ruffled feathers to go down a bit. And then, depending on what happens after that, then then now we've got a now we've got a movement. But um, right, this is a this is a key moment. But in the meantime, I I think we're now not really party people. I mean, people in our age group. I think now it turned out that we are issue driven. Right. And either that issue was inequality or when things are unfair, which is, you know, I think why this DNC leak was so egregious. It absolutely hit the target for Sanders supporters who really just felt like the whole world was unfair. 
and and here we are with another glaring example of it. Um, I think parties are going to have to stop partying and <laughs> and and really focus on issues and and policy specific. People are a lot more literate now, and they're getting their news from places that they can't control. And so we'll see what happens moving forward. I'll be working on a couple of things. I'll keep you posted on some um, some local races and some initiatives, online initiatives. Um, and I'll keep you posted with how those go. And perhaps we can revisit this conversation again. Definitely. Uh, once, once these things are up and running in a meaningful way. But in the meantime, business as usual, rest in peace. I, I think this really is a sea change for politics, and, I, and it, this may be the last election of its kind. Awesome. Well, I definitely, I definitely would love to follow up again once things get a little bit moving a little bit further on. And I know it's late and it's Sunday, and I definitely appreciate you taking the time to to talk with me um, this evening. This has been great, and and I'm really happy. And no that problem. Connected. Wonderful. Yeah, and I'm and I'm really glad to speak to you and your listeners. And if anybody has any questions. Um, feel free to contact me. There is a contact us page on bannerstrategies.com, S-P-A-N-N-E-R strategies, all one word, .com, and we're very responsive. So if you have any ideas or any suggestions or any comments on the conversation that Noah and I had, I'm happy to uh, respond to anybody that reaches out. Great. Thank you. And I'll make sure to have a link to the website in the description box um, I'll, I'll edit it and update it to make sure your your information is in there for people to, to definitely reach out. So thank you very okay. much. Thank have, you so much. Have a good evening. You too. Take okay, care. Bye-bye.